0: First of all, I found that Eli had an easier time with that. And he helped me through some of those moments because to him, the unknown was sort of an open possibility and an opportunity. So the fact that we didn't know was in a way better than knowing something that was not good because there was still the possibility that it would be that it would turn out okay.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Book Podcast. I'm your host, Aron Wogelander. Each week, I invite you to take a journey with me to take a look at what happens beyond a range of books and what inspires some of today's great Jewish authors. Speaking about Intentional Jew, this podcast is sponsored by Intentional Jew Podcast Network. IntentionalJew.com How does one deal with challenges in his life? How do we deal with the unknown? How do we find meaning in it? I wanted to put out this episode this week in light of what's going on here in Israel. But the reality is that the strength that you can gain from this episode and today's guest is strength for really everything we experience in life. Today's guest is Ricky Lieber Simon. She and her late husband Eli Simon co-authored a book that was published after he passed away. From the very first time that Eli was diagnosed with cancer, Ricky and Eli journaled their experiences. Each entry shows the extreme capability of humans to remain strong and faithful to Hashem no matter what happens. I feel like each page of this book should have perforated lines so I could rip it out and put it in my pocket and keep it to give me strength when I need it. It was an honor to speak with someone like Ricky, who lets God into her life and the ability for me to be able to learn from her strength. Just a little background on Eli and Ricky Simon. Dr. Eli Simon was a neurologist, a neuroscientist, and a biomedical engineer. Who was both a hands-on clinician as well as a serial entrepreneur in the field of digital medicine. Before moving to Israel, Dr. Simon was a senior research fellow at the Laboratory of Control at the National Institute of Health. Dr. Simon made Aliyah in 1996 and practiced neurology at Ichilov Hospital in Tel Aviv. In addition to publishing over 50 journal articles in the fields of neurology, psychology, and And behavioral medicine, Dr. Simon was also very interested in the study of human emotion, self-improvement, and spirituality from a Jewish perspective, and the integration of these disciplines into medicine and science. Ricky is a patent agent specializing in medical devices, as well as a life coach with a focus on Jewish perspectives on coping and overcoming challenges. In recent years, she has focused on learning Jewish texts related to self-improvement and spiritual development. Ricky made Aliyah in 2000 and lives here in Modi'in. Together, Ricky and Eli have published, I think, a masterpiece, something that we can learn from and we can engage with. You know, so often we hear discourses on um, emunah and faith and bitachon and trusting in Hashem and what He does for us no matter what's happening. Um, and it's sort of the end result. It's This is how one should think. And this book and this conversation brings us through the process, because you see that someone, while he is scared, and while she is scared about what's going to happen to her husband, they're able to write about tefillah, and they're able to write about faith, and they're able to write about emuna. And when they're in the state, as she mentioned earlier, of the unknown, they're able to have emuna. And it's not just someone giving you a, a speech about you know when you when there's unknown you should believe in you should believe in Hashem and you should know that he's taking care of you you're actually watching the process unfold so i hope that you're able to get involved in the process of this conversation and of the book if you are interested in the book you can look in the show notes and i'll link a book to both the, the amazon link and the mosaica press um, the publisher that publishes book so without further ado i hope you enjoy this episode and find some meaning in the words of Ricky Simon. So it's, it's important for me, uh, you know, often I speak to, to authors who are, um, you know, historians and different types I get to see. And this is, this is so raw and so different um, of a book that I get to, that I get to talk to. So can you tell us a little bit just about who you are, you know, where you grew up and why that influenced Um, and set you up, really, for this book and and life?
0: Okay. Um, So, I grew up in North Miami Beach, Florida. Um, I grew up in a modern Orthodox home, um, and I was, um, I went to Israel after that for, for a year, and then Studied at Stern College. Um, Always in mind, uh, after I went to Israel for the... Well, no, actually, before I went to Israel for the year, I went on the March of the Living, the first one, in 1988. um, And I decided then and there that I'm going to make Aliyah. Um, I was 17 at the time, but I went to Israel for the year, and then I went back uh, to Stern for college. But always with Israel in mind. Um, But
1: that didn't happen until much later.
0: Right. So, so. Aliyah happened uh, about... Let's see, I came back from Israel in 1989, and I made Aliyah in 2000. So it took a little while. Um, And in between, I got my education, I got married, I had, at the time, three children, um, made Aliyah, uh, and then um, I became a, I, I started to work in the field of patents, my, my background was biomedical engineering, and I started to work in patents for medical devices. Um, and I've, I've been doing that now since I made Aliyah in 2000. Um, and I was sort of a very, um, I, would, I would say, logical, rational thinking person. Um, at, at least that's how I used to think of myself.
1: Per, uh, just personality or because of... Your education. And I'm where not you
0: were. sure. That's a good question. Um, I think I was always a very emotional, sensitive child, but as I grew up, my logical side definitely took uh, priority, and um, I went into the sciences. I was always a religious person, but I but I don't think that I thought too much about the spiritual side of of, of religion. I, I did think about my connection to God, but I didn't. I I didn't go beyond that. With, with my thoughts, and I didn't really learn, when I learned Torah, let's say, I learned, I liked learning Halacha, I liked learning, um, Torah, ch- Chumash, but I didn't, I didn't really learn, like, I started at one point when I was in college learning mesilat yesharim and then I put it down after the first few chapters, like, I wasn't really drawn to the Musser type of learning and that kind of thing when I was younger, um, and I went into a scientific field, and, the world of patents is also very legal. Um, cool. So that also spoke to my my legal side and my writing side. When I when I finished my my degrees, I decided to go into patents because it was something that was very flexible. was good for LEA. It was um, it it spoke to my kind of like legal analytical side of of my brain, which I which I like to try to. Um, in patents, you have to kind of get down to the heart of the invention and then be able to. Uh, articulate what the invention is in very specific words and the wording is very precise and then you have to analyze it against other things that exist that are similar. so it's very analytical um, and I and and I thought that it was the right direction for me um, and I worked in that I still work in it today um, but I started really in 2000 when I made alia um, about, Ten years after I made Aliyah in 2010, I went through a period of sort of upheaval. And that brought out this other side of me that was kind of dormant. Not the analytical side, but the spiritual, emotional, who am I side. Um, And I spent a lot of time doing soul searching and starting to learn some of these other more, I would say, Hasidic and... um, not Kabbalistic, I didn't go into Kabbalah, but I, I, I read a lot more of the Ramchal um, and things of that nature, which, which helped me kind of realize that, that this side of me was actually quite uh, strong. It just, was, it just was dormant for all these years. Um, so that was, that was I, would, I would say, the first um, entry into, into this world in a conscious way. Um, when I, when I, uh, got remarried, I remarried, uh, Dr. Eli Simon, um, and he had sort of a similar, uh, background in the sense that he was also a scientific person. Um, he was a neurologist and a, also happened to be a biomedical engineer. Um, and he also grew up in sort of a a modern Orthodox, kind of logical minded type of environment where,
1: where did he grow up
0: he grew up in bayside New York um so he he was very um he actually wrote a book when he was in medical school but it was on uh laning he he was a he was a balcore
1: true that's that's how we we knew him here in Modine as a
0: right he was a, quite a and
1: successful and good balcore, yeah
0: yeah so he wrote a book when he was Either when he was in medical school or when he was just finishing medical school um, on Tameha Mikra, because he felt cool. that there was a need for that, and that also was very analytical. You know, it was very precise, um, and uh, so, but he he also, I guess, went through sort of a sort of an awakening at some point, um, and and this is sort of where we we were. Uh, like of the same mind, um, and so very early on in our in our relationship, we discuss we used to discuss these higher level matters all the time, and we didn't discuss them in a theoretical way. We discussed them as they related to our lives because we had a lot of challenges. This was a second marriage for both of us. Um, we had a lot to deal with with, you know, children from both sides and all kinds of other interactions that we had to um, contend with and. We we tried to use our life experience at the time to grow. And that was really, and we did. And we spent really like hours um, daily talking about these things. We both worked from home and we would have our, start our day with our morning coffee and sort of just make sure that we... Um, addressed any. That's a great
1: time to talk. You don't need any excuse why uh, why yeah. you talk over a coffee. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: it was great. But our but our morning coffee always, most often, had to do with, let's say, something that we were dealing with at the time, and then seeing it from the right perspective. Like, what is how how should we view this? What is God trying to tell us? What decisions should we be making? How should we approach this? Which is the right thing to do. Those were the types of discussions that we would have over our morning coffee. Um, so What's this, amazing
1: is that you, you were doing it together, right? There wasn't one teaching the other and one learning and one, you know, being the tell of the other, it was, you know, doing it together. Right. Which is, that was, that was absolutely true. Although I must say
0: that I do feel that he was my teacher in many ways. And actually, um, believe it or not, at his, uh, at his, at his Leviah, I spoke and one of the things that I said was that he was my teacher because I learned so much from him. Um, I, first of all, he was, he was a few years older than me. He was seven years older than me. So he had a little bit more life experience. Um, and he had so much depth. So sometimes when I was approaching something from a superficial point of view, he would go right to the heart of it. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we did it together on the one hand and on the other hand, I really felt like, you know, that, that, that I learned a tremendous amount from him. Um, so, so that was very natural. That was like a very natural place for us, that kind of world of, you know, first of all, the type of learning that we were doing, the things that we were focusing on, um, we, we both at different times, learned through a bunch of different svarim that we would talk about, Chavot Halavavot, and Shmon Barakim of the Rambam, and all kinds of things like that, that that really just helped us develop some of these um, thoughts and ideas. And he very often had a lot of thoughts about these things that were, as they connected to neurology, um, because it all goes back to the brain in the end of the day, at the end of the day, and... um, how you think about life and how you approach life and what your perspective is makes such a huge difference, even in certain illnesses which which can be um if you have the right attitude, then you can feel completely differently during those illnesses and he used to talk about this before he was sick um, and so we you know we really we really had that um that sort of natural connection and and way to talk about like higher level things together. So so one day he came home and uh, informed me that um what so so basically he was he was a very he was a healthy person. Um, he ate, well, he exercised, yeah. he was active, he was he was a perfectly healthy person. I like to joke that he I mean it's not a joke, but he didn't even know his Maccabi code to get into the to get into <laughs> the app because right. he never had to, he never needed it. Um, and so, uh, it was shocking when, um, he, he said that he was going to go check out, he, he had felt a, uh, something in his neck, like a lump or something in his neck and he didn't know what it was. We weren't, we weren't particularly worried about it because he, he had some dental problems and he was supposed to have a root canal and the dentist said it might just be a, a reaction to the infection. Um, but but nevertheless, they, they suggested that he get an ultrasound. Um, and so it was with, quite a shock that he came home from the ultrasound and informed me that it really does not look very good. Um, They didn't know what it was, but it was uh, a mess somehow. Um, And they told him that he had to get a biopsy and see what was actually going on in there. But it wasn't just a simple infection from the tooth. Over the next, I would say week or so, um, we got like super fast care, uh, thank God, maybe because he was a doctor and had some connections, but in general, we found that his medical care was excellent. Um, but we we ran around getting tests. Um, he had a biopsy a week later, and um, and unfortunately, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, we were completely shocked. Um, but I must say that immediately, but immediately we recognize this as yad hashem it was so unexpected and so unusual and like we tend to think of um i'm going to use the word miracles even though this is difficult to use that word in this context but miracles we tend to think of as things that are unexpected events usually for the positive but we saw this as as much the hand of god as any miracle that you might talk about we knew that we knew that with absolute certainty we just didn't know what it meant and what and what the result would be we didn't know we didn't know if he would recover from it or not we didn't know you know there were a lot of unknowns but we but we understood both of us that oh wow okay what just happened here and and we looked at it from that context from the beginning um which which a lot of people i think um have said things to me like, "Oh, aren't you angry that this happened?" Or, um, you know, or or maybe maybe God didn't know what He was doing, or 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 how could questions, this be? Yeah. Questions like that, and um, of course I, of course I'm extremely upset by what happened, but I don't question that. So. I don't know. I never have questioned that. And it it bothers me when people do question that because I believe that there is one God. And so if there is one God, then he's the same God that created cancer, that created us, that brought us into the world to begin with, that created life and death. So if we believe that and we believe that God is good, then there's no, again, back to my logical brain, there's no logical way to get around that, um, and say that God did something bad bad in, in a, in a true sense. Of course, it may be bad for us, but in some ultimate sense and still believe that there's only one God. So, I mean, and, and again, these ideas are things that we had been talking about and developing over years. This didn't just come to us in a, in an instant, but this was a huge test, um, and, and of course, over the, over the time period while he was sick, it wasn't always as clear and obvious to and simple right? and simple, but I'm, but what I'm, but what the point that I'm trying to make is that our orientation was already such that when this happened to us, we were able to see it through that lens.
1: Right. And you mentioned this now, and you mentioned also in your book that the, the being in a unknown situation is a challenge. And an opportunity, and you took the you took the opportunity. Can you speak to the challenge of just people find in all situations of being in, in the, that unknown? You write that you were waiting to find out, and that was like a, like a painful experience.
0: Right. So the unknown was very difficult. I think it's actually a lot of people can relate to it nowadays because of coronavirus. Um, you know, just not knowing what's going to be, and and all all of those those feelings of the unknown. I think is are very familiar to, to most people in the world now. Um, but when it happened, yeah, I think that was one of the most difficult things to deal with because, um, first of all, my, my brain automatically went to, okay, so what's going to be the end of this thing, right? And, and trying to foresee the future and maybe trying to figure out what decisions to make so that we can have a good ending to the story rather than bad ending, which I guess is all normal. But But it was hard for me to just to just sit and wait for the answer. Um, And first of all, I found that Eli had an easier time with that. Um, And he helped me through some of those moments because to him, the unknown was sort of an open possibility and an opportunity. So the fact that we didn't know was in a way better than knowing something that was not good. Um, because there was still the possibility that it would be, that it would turn out okay.
1: It's not necessarily a, a natural, I mean, that's something that's been worked on in, for him, because that's not a natural place to be. The natural place is the unknown, and then you just want it answered, even if it's bad, you just want the answer.
0: Right, right. So he definitely worked on that, um, and this is something also that we had talked about in different contexts over the years, but he was right on it. I mean, he was like, when I said, yeah, but what's going to be, or what, what are we going to do? And he was like, okay, let's let's take a deep breath, You know, this is where we are right now. Where we are right now is we don't know. And so, first of all, that gives a lot of room for tefillah. That's number one. Because once the thing is already a done deal, then your tefillah would have to be different. Um, And it gives a lot of room for hope. And it gives room for doing whatever we can to change the situation in whatever way we are able to. So he, he saw those time periods as sort of a hopeful time. Um, maybe not always, he had a few dark moments, but much fewer than I did. Um, and that was, that was a real challenge. That was a real challenge. Um, because you just, you know, it, 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 it introduces fear and fear is something, uh, that is really difficult to deal with. So I, I found that, um, when I had these moments of fear, sometimes they took over me and I just couldn't manage it but when i was able to kind of recognize what was happening i had like a sort of super awareness of where i was um and i realized that this is just fear creeping in then i was able to kind of deal with it because it it became something a, in a way external like this is fear this is not reality if it's not the actual reality then don't let fear take over your brain
1: and fear was a no-go for you you didn't let that in or tried not i to. tried
0: not to I tried not to. I can't say that I was always successful, but I tried not to.
1: Right. I, I, I find myself often talking to my wife just about what's happening now um, that you mentioned over Corona, but, you know, in a, in a smaller way, but there's, you know, kids are in school, kids are not in school. What, what's going to be? Can we fly? Can these people come? Can we go here? Can we go there? And, and life is is in this world of unknown. And we always find, we like almost write lists of what do we know? We know that we have four beautiful children. We know that we have them at home. We know that we still have to raise them and we know that we can raise them. We have the, t- so school, so school is an unknown, but don't live in the unknown, live in, live in the known and it's less, it's limited. And, and, but once you know that and you can live there, then there's so much more to do. Right. And
0: so. that's a great place to be what you're describing because that's from, that's taking it from a positive perspective because the truth of the matter is life is unknown I mean, even when we're not aware of it, right? We think that things are secure and that we know what's going on and that our kids are going to have school tomorrow and that everything is fine, but nobody knows anything. We don't know what's going to happen in the next minute, right? So we do
1: live in a Which, state that's of- That's the, and that's the, just to speak to, that's the opposite of fear. That's, that's like almost a rational, like it's going, it might end, it could end and, and it can go fast. And therefore, you know, things, you do things differently with that. No, but not afraid that it's going to end necessarily, right. but the knowledge of that it can. Right. It will.
0: That's right. And and Eli was very aware of the fact that um, this was a wake-up call. It reminded us that our lives are limited. We didn't know that his life was so limited at the time. They said it was curable, and we went through a whole bunch of treatments. But, but he realized that this was a wake-up call. Like, oh, you know, you might think you have another 30, 40 years to live, whatever it is. But you don't know how long you have to live. And so we all have to live our lives as if we don't know how long we have to live. We have to remember that. And it's very hard to do that when you're young and healthy and everything seems to be fine. But when you're hit with a sudden illness, especially, um, it hits you in the face that, oh, your assumptions might have been wrong. And so you have to rethink. It's like what you said about having four beautiful children and you have to raise your children. So go back to, wait, what is my job? What do I need to do Focus on that rather than the what ifs of things don't work out well. What if my kid gets sick tomorrow? What if I don't what if they don't have school? What am I gonna do if I lose my job? What if all kinds of what ifs. You could you could go nuts with all the what ifs, right? But if you if you get back to that focus of what is, like what you said, and what is it that I have to do here in this world, then that the rest of it kind of fades away to the background. And that, that, that was what was most helpful, I would say, um, in going through these uncertain times was just refocusing on, okay, wait, what are we supposed to be doing now with the, with the illness, with our time, you know, we, we decided to write down our thoughts and that's what the book came out of our, our journal entries during this time period. But that was something that we both understood was something we had to do at this time. Um, um,
1: did it affect like his, his strength did, and your strength? Did that affect everyone around you and the the mood in the house and the mood in the, the greater, larger families?
0: So probably it did. I don't really know. Um, I, I actually think that in some instances uh, it was difficult for people because um, other people that were close to us were worried and we were telling them we saw this from a different perspective and they didn't understand that perspective. And so it, they couldn't really just cry to us because we weren't going there, right? Um, so, so in a, in a certain way, I think it may have made almost it difficult, right, almost, for them. Yeah.
1: Um, but did you, but you know when when you saw him, you understood what the strength that he had, and that it was it was coming from inner strength and from Imuna and Bitachon.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I knew that that without a doubt from the first minute that that he came back from that ultrasound. Um, and that never, that never wavered. I mean, that that was what was so incredible. Like, I had my ups and downs, but he he was so consistent. Um, he really, and he was the one suffering physically. He really just had complete amunah that this was something that happened to him for some reason, and he had to view it from the lens of what is my job in the world and what do I need to do with whatever time I have? in the world, whether it's short or long or whatever happens, um, and to constantly be reprioritizing and refocusing refocusing that. I remember when literally that day when he came home from the ultrasound, he sat down to his computer and he made a list. Now, he, just understand, he didn't know that this was a life-threatening thing. He just knew that it was more than he had thought, okay? He sat down at his computer and he made a list of things that he should focus on and try to accomplish and things that he should not focus on and waste time with. He literally made a list. I still have it in, in the computer. Wow. Um, And, and you know, one of the things in his list, just as an example was uh, of something not to spend time on was to travel, for example, because even though it might be something interesting and it might be, it didn't, it didn't serve in his mind what he's put, what he was put in the world to do. And so, if somebody was put in the world to travel because they have something behind that, then then great. But for him, he felt that that was just something that would give him pleasure, and so it was off his list.
1: Right. That's uh, like to go back and read that just shows you what a person is when you see their priorities on their list. And what um what inspired you, you were writing almost from the moment he came back from that first uh right on the first appointment so what inspired you to start writing and did you think it was going to become this
0: so it was a combination of things one was it was a good outlet for for both of us um each of us in our own way um
1: did you did you read your own and read each other's while you were writing or it was
0: sometimes but not always a lot of the things i only saw much later um so it was, it was definitely an outlet and a way of expressing what we were feeling and what we were going through, and, and it helped. Um, and, yes, I, I have to say that, I mean, he saw this very clearly as a future book. He, he thought that um, if we can put down on paper the way that we see the world as we're going through it, then maybe later it can help other people who are going through difficult times. He, he knew that from the beginning. He knew it.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. I, I think that that speaks to the power here of the book, um, of what you've written and what you've gone through, that you're giving us the process. You're not just the end, you know, the formula of, this is how you have faith in God, or this is how you go through difficult times. But it's, this is how I did. Take it or leave it, but this is how I did it. And this is this is the form of the process of how we get to that. Um, and that's that's what touched me and spoke to me. Uh, very often, like you mentioned, the musters farm, they tell you this is what, you know, everything is for the good. And they give you the, the form, the, the pieces. Right. But you need the test and to watch that test play out in front of you. It's
0: Right. And it was it was a test of six months, um, which on the one hand was a very long time and on the other hand was a very short time. So it was, I think. Um, it, it was enough time that we were able to really experience a lot of ups and downs and put the thoughts down on paper. Um, So, you know, I mean, obviously I would have liked for him to have lived longer than that. Um, But again, that, that, that wasn't up to any of us, not even the doctors, they did their best. Um, And I knew after he passed away that, like I now had this, I had to carry forth this mission that he had already put into place. I mean, we both did, but it was really his vision. Um, and so for the first, I would say Im- almost immediately, but for the first like six months after he passed away, this was um, what occupied a, a large part of my time was putting this book together. And it was it was also helpful for me because it it reminded me along the way of all of the things that we... Had learned, and now I was going through another whole challenge which I had to deal with without him. Um, dealing with the challenge beforehand was difficult, but at least I had him. Um, and so during during the period of the time when I was putting the book together, that was actually very helpful for me as well.
1: And so, how has this grown like larger than the book, or is it growing into another book, into more ideas? And how are you how are you growing this mission?
0: He actually has a whole bunch of other things that are on his computer uh, that he had written. Um, books? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it could end up as a book or or several books. Um, oh, I'll just say that he actually wrote another book before this, um, a few years ago, a few years before he had written a book called Embracing the Unknown, which, right, <laughs> Embracing the Unknown. Wow. But it was from a different perspective. It was from the perspective of as a scientist – um, being in awe of science and nature and and all of the like unbelievable um, details and and perfect perfection in the world um, and and the fact that we can't understand even a fraction of it with all that we know in science and all of the advances that we've made and there are a lot and we have a lot to be uh, proud of as human beings but it doesn't even come close to a kernel of a of a fraction of what actually is. Um, And so he wrote a book about that. And he had written a bunch of other pieces that he was going to put into some future books about um, not just science, but also human nature, and also events in the world. And I don't know, I'm not sure what, if anything, I will do or can do with some of the things that he wrote, but I do have in mind that I would like to try to publish some more. I, I'm I'm happy to speak to people individually who are going through a hard time and want some insight or chizuk or understanding of how to how to cope. I don't know, you know, again, it's a very individual thing and I think that the fact that we both sort of groomed ourselves in a certain way of thinking before this happened was was very Um, Helpful for us and I don't know you know and everybody has their own world and their own state of mind and their own way of viewing the events that happen to them in their lives but I think that there are some basic truths that that can be helpful for people when they're when they're going through a hard time so
1: that's that's fascinating what are what are some um or books that you draw inspiration from now or maybe that you did together
0: okay so Um, Well, I'll say that the first book that I turned to um, after he passed away, so the first book that I turned to was Derech Hashem, uh, the Ramchal. It gave me tremendous chizuk, that book, because it just brought me into this world of, wow, there's so much more than what meets the eye. And the spirit Spiritual realm and the worlds that God created, besides our little physical world, which is not so little; it's actually huge, but it's enormous. All the other aspects of what exists—it um, gave me tremendous, tremendous comfort because I felt that His neshama is still alive and well. And um, I also listened to some uh, to some talks by Rabbi Manus Friedman. Who I still listen to, I find him to also be very um, helpful and inspirational. Um, I I think that his what really got me listening to him was the the talk that he gave. He gave a, a certain talk about the soul and the afterlife, right. and and it again it just was very very um, comforting to me, and it and it rang true. It wasn't just like oh let me hope that this is true. It really felt right and real. Um, so those are just a couple of things more, you know, I would say more recently, uh, not, not more recently, well, but after he passed yeah. away. Um, and I'm always searching for, um, you know, I, I, I recently read a book by, um, Reva Avram Tversky, which is a little bit different. It's more practical. Um, but it also speaks to who are we as people, um, and what are the things that we can do in our lives to bring out the the higher self rather than you know the self that we're used to dealing with? Um, and so I find I find him to also be helpful and inspirational. Um,
1: let me think. What and I- together you were you mentioned the chovas halavos. That's what you were
0: right. So Chovot alivavot and mesila Isharim, um, and Orchot Sadikim, all of those sort of classic Musur books were. Um, I go back to them now, also sometimes, but at the time that was like the go-to. Um, and Shmona Prakim of the Rambam, that also a lot. A lot of our focus um, was not just about like the spiritual realm and what's out there, but the but the idea of midot and how to correct midot because it's actually intricately linked to to this higher level right because when you see yourself as okay what are the things that i need to work on in myself and everybody has plenty to work on and when you try to isolate those things like when you look at your this way when you look at the events that happen to you as they interact with your particular me dote, right then you can see the events that happen to you as opportunities for growth right Okay, so so me don't work was a big part of what we talked about a lot, not because, oh, you know, we have to just be better people, but just because we really saw everything that happened to us as like, oh, okay, now this aspect of my personality is having trouble, right? Dealing with this particular situation. And so if I can isolate that and work on it and overcome this challenge. Then that challenge will have been for a purpose, which is for me to um, become better in that particular realm, and so that's sort of the just giving you a little insight into the lens that we viewed the world.
1: So, from the beginning, from when you started talking, I I noticed that that your work affected who you were as a person. You know how you thought, and that's why maybe you had maybe you went down that road because you had. More of a rational approach to Judaism, and then maybe you had a more rational approach to Judaism because of your work, and everything, everything sort of affected. And then when that change happened, um, maybe religiously or in your mindset, so then it changes the way you work, and it changes the way you do, and the way it changes the way you act. Everything is works together, right. and that's something that um, I find is challenging for people and, and myself when I find I'm in a challenging time. Let's say at work, I'm in, a, I'm in a scuffle. So uh, really, that's me. do and really, that's me that needs to, needs to get worked on. And that's my relationship with Hashem that really is, is in play here. Um, and it could, everything is affected. So
0: Right. So that has, that actually speaks to the other thing that I started to learn, which was coaching. Um, I haven't really been practicing, but I, I did, um, and maybe, maybe I still will, but you know, there's been a lot of, uh, different things to deal with in the meantime um but the coaching approach is also that and i, I found that it, it went hand and it goes hand in hand with this idea because when when things happen to you if somebody does something to you let's say right and you get angry about it or you get upset with that person um the the right way to deal with most situations is to look inward rather than outward and yes, it could be that the other person was wrong and that the other person did something bad, but that's not for you to figure out. What for you to what's for you to figure out is where does this meet up with me and my personality and the things that I need to to improve. And and if you and if you can do that and if you can try to like practice doing that more and more often, then the external things bother you less. Because because then you go internally and you say Okay, wait, hold on. you know it's like that movie um um what's that movie with the the different feelings the the disney movie um, uh, um, inside out inside out It's like that movie inside out, where like the different emotions had like their own little personalities, right so yeah, in a way, and in a way, it's also good to just live your life without worrying about that, you know okay because i i mean i I, I think that um. As much as I say that we prepared ourselves, you can never prepare yourself, and right. so um,
1: I think meet out is the best way to prepare yourself. You you do what you need to do and perfect what you need to. Things are going to happen around you all day, right. to you, around you, and uh, and it's what you do with it. Right, and that's the best you can do. But you're never going to be prepared. Prepared,
0: right. yeah. Um, I I I remember thinking <coughs> I found out. Very shortly before he passed away that it was looking bad. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, like I almost was imagining how how I would feel if he if he actually passed away. Um, and I think I was trying to protect myself from um, from falling down when it actually happened, if I could prepare myself, but I found that it was you just couldn't do that because when when it actually happened, it was completely different than.
1: You'd imagine. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Well if there's uh if there's any messages that you want to say to my listeners just about uh maybe anything else about your book that you didn't cover or about you about um something you wanna tell them that they can give them chizuk and uh help them strengthen themselves then
0: Okay. Um I think the I think the key things really that help me um that always to remember are that there is one God and he's good. And if you carry that around with you and you really, really work on um, remembering that when times are hard, then you can start to get out of whatever bad situation you're in, at least in your own head. Um, And if you see the situation differently and you recognize that it's come into your life, the situation that you're in has come into your life for some reason, um, whether it's some bigger reason or some smaller reason or whatever, um, and your question is really not why did it happen, but what do I do with this thing that happened, um, then you can deal with it with a little bit better.
1: Powerful. And um, thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing this message. And uh,
0: Thank you very much.
1: Okay. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. This project is a creative project of mine, and I want to know that it resonates with people. The best way to speak to me and to let me know is by subscribing to this channel on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, listening, finding me on YouTube, Beyond the Book, YouTube channel, and leave a comment that you enjoyed it. The more feedback I get, the more I'll do. And if you enjoyed it, even just a simple liked it works for me. We'll see you next week on Beyond the Book.